Pastor Ray Bentley brings an observation from today's study. While Jesus was with the 11 in the Garden of Gethsemane, teaching them to be spiritually ready, he said, you've got to be awake. I'm wondering if God is now using the circumstances around the whole world to awaken us. Maybe we were asleep spiritually. He's waking people up. He's shaking everything that can be shaken. Spread Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. This time of uncertainty we're facing, it caught most everyone by surprise. Did it catch God by surprise? Not in the least. What's more, God can use times like this to bring about some amazing things, but He wants our cooperation. Today, Pastor Ray shows us how to be ready to be used of God during this time of testing. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. The title of the message is The Test of Character. And we're going to be talking about Jesus as he was betrayed uh, by one of his own disciples, a very infamous character named Judas Iscariot, and then his arrest, and then beginning to set up the whole trial that will lead to Jesus going to the cross. And what I, as we go through these verses, I want you to be thinking about, I believe that that hour of chaos and crisis on that night was a great test. And we're going to talk about that because I believe that right now we're in a time of great testing. When we go through times of testing, uh, when there is chaos, when there is great crisis, as there was that night with Jesus, when he was arrested and betrayed, what is God doing? What is going on? And that's what I want to share with you is in your hour of crisis and in your being tested, what is God wanting for us to hear from him? All right, so I've just got some application points that we're going to go through. There's only four of them, so we'll go through it rather quickly, but I think that this is very, very powerful. Number one is this is the hour of great testing, as we're going to begin reading the story in Matthew chapter 26, uh, beginning with verse 47. It says, and while he, which we're talking about Jesus, was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. So here we read that while Jesus was still speaking with the other disciples, while he was with the 11 in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he had been praying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Jesus was saying as the eternal son to the Father, Father, if there is any other way that man can be saved than by me going to the cross, taking that sin and that burden, being separated from you, let it come. And he prayed it three times. And each time the answer was the same. And, and it gives us the assurance that the cross, if there had been any other way for man to be saved other than Jesus going to the cross and dying and paying for the sins of the world, then it would have been made available by the Father. 
But three times he prayed, three times the answer was the same. No, this is the way, the only way men can be saved. So then Jesus had been praying, sweating as it were great drops of blood. And he was talking to the disciples, teaching them to be spiritually ready, especially prepared for temptation. And he said, you've got to be awake. You've got to be alert. Don't fall asleep. And the disciples had fallen asleep in the hour when Jesus needed them the most. And I've thought a lot about this uh, from Jesus being in the garden and praying and in this moment of great crisis, you know, leading now to this betrayal and the arrest of Jesus and ultimately to the cross. How he wanted them to be awake. We need to be awake and we need to pray. And I'm wondering if God is now using the circumstances around the whole world uh, to awaken us. Maybe we were asleep spiritually, and maybe we were not really listening to him or paying attention to him. And so one of the purposes I believe that God is using in these corona times is he's waking people up. He's shaking everything that can be shaken. So while Jesus was talking to the other 11, Matthew writes, one of the 12, Judas, came to betray Jesus. Now, I'm thinking about this. This is Matthew. It's the first gospel in the New Testament. And he's writing this after the fact, after the resurrection even of Jesus. And, you know, it's amazing to me that Matthew didn't say more or he didn't say something else about introducing Judas. Because Judas' name, as Christianity was birthed and as it began to grow and to spread, he was the one that everybody had heard of the story that he betrayed Jesus. And so to the earliest Christians, the name Judas became a byword. It was a synonym for betrayal and infamy. And I'm wondering, why didn't Matthew write, and then the false disciple Judas? or the one who counted himself among the 12, named Judas. But he doesn't say that. He just says, and then Judas, who was one of the 12. And you know, not only does Matthew write that way about Judas Iscariot, but the other gospels, Mark and Luke and John, whenever they refer to Judas, they just say he was one of the 12. And what's interesting, what strikes me is that in the Gospels, they never speak of him with some kind of overt disdain or some word to wrap him in or hatred or rejection. He is just listed as one of the 12. And so here came Judas, and it says that in verse 47, he came with a great multitude with swords and clubs. Now let me define uh, this group and then maybe suggest how many might have actually been coming from the temple area, across the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says there were officers from the temple, from the chief priests. These would have been Jewish policemen or, or they were Jewish people that were uh, doing police responsibilities given power by the Roman government. But there were also not only uh, kind of the temple police, there were also, we are told we put the four gospels together, 
There were Roman soldiers. There were Roman garrison officers who were also there. There were also Pharisees, leaders of the Jewish community of the Pharisees. There were also members of the Sadducees, the other religious group. And then there were members from the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body. And as I read several of the commentaries on this, they said that the number of those who came, and they had swords, and they had clubs, it could have been as many as a thousand. A thousand armed you know, soldiers, police, with clubs and with swords coming for Jesus. Now, Jesus could have gone somewhere else. He went to a place where he knew Judas, who went out to betray him, would know where he was. So Jesus was not running away and he was not afraid and he was certainly not going to fight with them. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. But here was this great multitude. Can you imagine? This is overwhelming, unnecessary force that showed up. But Jesus had no intention of dodging them, trying to hide from them. In fact, he was ready and prepared to meet them. You know, sometimes you'll hear a story where there's somebody that maybe for political reasons or other reasons, they've done something wrong. And then you will see this kind of over-exaggerated police force and helicopters and cars and guys with vests on and, you know, all kinds of ammunition. And, and it's the guy with his wife and it's early in the morning and he goes, what, what's going on? Oh, I would have come if you would have told me. But whenever you see sometimes that kind of overwhelming presence and force, you can always know there's an agenda behind it. They are sending a message. It's not just that they were afraid of Jesus or his small group of disciples, but they were making a statement. They were making a statement to all of the Jewish people, to all of the Romans, and in that hour. So here's this mixed multitude. And it's a very prophetic picture of how the world, both Jewish and Gentile, was treating the Messiah. This is after three and a half years where Jesus had done nothing but do miracle after miracle, healing after healing, signs and wonders that had never been seen before. No prophet in all of Israel's history had done the supernatural, powerful kinds of miracles. He could speak to nature and it obeyed him. He could rebuke the demonic spirits who knew who he was and cast them out. Fevers were obviously nothing to him. Blind eyes, deaf ears, the inability to speak if they were lame, and even some who were dead. Jesus already now had raised people from the dead, and just a week before he had raised a man named Lazarus that everybody in Jerusalem knew, and he was alive. And yet here they come, and instead of worshiping, this is the long-awaited Messiah. This is the one they had wanted to come for centuries, the one they had prayed for, the one that there had been hundreds of prophecies foretelling, and he came. And even the people, you know, at this very Passover were wondering, is Jesus of Nazareth, could he be the Messiah, the Son of God? But instead of worshiping the Son of God, as the Messiah, they take him, arrest him with overwhelming, unnecessary force, 
and then they crucified him. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. Since Pastor Ray went to heaven, so many listeners have shared comments on what his teaching means to them. Pastor Ray was influential in teaching us to make the Bible our manual for life. Nothing else was needed and nothing else mattered. He taught us to keep our eyes on Jesus, love God, our neighbors, and the Bible. We can't wait to see him again. God is good all the time. It's so encouraging to hear how Pastor Ray's teachings have touched so many lives through the years, and your prayers are cherished by the Bentley family. If you have a message to share, you can email us, ray at raybentley.com, or post a comment on our homepage at raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. Now, as we look at this arrest that is happening there, you know, I want to go back to the story of the Old Testament of the Exodus. The Exodus was the number one story of God's sovereign divine intervention. It's where God allowed himself to be seen and known and revealed on the earth. I mean, literally, as we talked about the Passover and on that night, uh, when the angel of the Lord passed over and the life of the firstborn of every family, whether they were Jewish or Egyptian and Gentile, if they had put the blood of a lamb without spot or blemish, on their doorpost and on their lintel beam, their firstborn son was spared. And on that next day, after 400 years of slavery, a nation, probably two and a half million at least strong, was liberated and was set free. And they went out, and as they went out, God manifest his divine presence. There was a cloud by day, you literally could see a physical manifestation of the supernatural presence of God. From the least and littlest all the way to the eldest of them, that's God. And then they began following that cloud. At night, the cloud would now transition into a pillar of fire. Can you imagine? A whole generation of Jewish people who could see God were now going out into the wilderness for the next 40 years. And this time in the wilderness, why did God bring them into the wilderness? So I wanna share with you a scripture, Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse two. You know, why don't they just go from the Exodus to the promised land? Why must they go into the wilderness? And it tells us in Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse two, it says, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. And now he tells them why. Why did we go through the wilderness? What was the purpose? What was the 40 years all about? To humble you and to test you and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. In other words, God had a purpose. Yes, he had delivered them. Yes, he had a promised land for them. But before they could get there, there was a time of transition. And the purpose of that transition was to test them. <laughs> and it wasn't to test them so that God could find out what was in their hearts or that God could discover whether or not they're going to listen to him or follow him or obey him. God knows everything. But he tested them to humble them so that they could know what was in their hearts. 
and to see if they would come to an understanding that they would choose the character of following the Lord and being obedient to him. If I could put it this way, from the night of Passover, on their way to the promised land, they had to go through a 40-year time of transition. And it was a time of testing. And God is testing us. Joshua says in uh, chapter three, verse four, he goes, as we go, he goes, we've got to follow the glory of the Lord and follow the cloud of God's presence. We've never been this way before. I think that's very true for our country and for our generation right now. And we, you know, so we're wrestling about how much freedom to give and how much, you know, we want to protect people. We don't want people to get sick. We don't want them to die. And how should we do it? And they say sometimes one thing and then they turn around and say the exact opposite a little bit later. They've made some obvious mistakes along the way. We need to pray for them that God will give them wisdom. But it is churning. And guess what? The time in the wilderness was 40 years of people challenging Moses and the leadership and the direction, and the people were complaining. And some of them even said, why did you bring, you know, why, you brought us out of Egypt for this? God's doing miracles, God is showing up. He's doing supernatural things. And they were complaining, they were divided, they weren't together, and, and God said, this is, this is all part of the plan. Well, I believe that God is testing us. He's wanting us to call upon his name. It's a time of transition. And, we, and he says, I do it to humble you. So we need to be humble and we need to seek the Lord and call on the name of the Lord. I wanna say that on this night, when Judas came to betray Jesus, Judas was tested and Judas failed the test. The disciples were being tested this night as well. And the very last verse of what we're going to read this day and this time and this message is, they all failed the test as well. The leadership of Israel was being tested and they failed the test. We are being tested during this crisis. It's a, you know, it's a test physically for us to survive. It is a political test. It's an economic test. And so we want the healings. And by the way, I really am excited to hear the testimonies of what God's doing in your life and how he's answering our prayers, touching people and healing people. Well, let's look at the next couple of verses in the story. Verses 48 through 50. It says, now as his betrayer had given them a sign, whomever, so this is Judas, whomever I kiss, he is the one, sees him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and then kissed him. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. I want to say this, in, you know, as we think about this scene and what is happening, as I described, there were hundreds of soldiers, clubs and swords, Jews and Gentiles, uh, Romans who were also there, and this moment of crisis. And here's the point that I want to bring to you that we need to look at here. Crisis does not make or break you, it reveals you. This was a crisis that revealed the heart, really, of Judas. And ever since this man, Judas, came on this scene of human history, Judas has been the sign and the symbol of betrayal. And it makes you wonder, how could one of Jesus' own disciples, 
one of his inner circle who had been with him and seen all these miracles heard the teaching of Jesus. And you know, he had given every sign and every evidence that he was the Messiah. What was he thinking? Why did he betray the Lord and in such a way? And we are not given explicitly the answer to that, but we can you know, surmise somewhere, some way, Judas became disenchanted with Jesus' ministry. He was disappointed that Jesus did not turn out to be the kind of Messiah that he expected. It wasn't working out for Judas the way he thought it should. And maybe he was thinking, perhaps he was thinking, well, I have seen Jesus use all of this supernatural power and authority. Why doesn't he use his obvious power and authority supernatural powers to overthrow the religious leaders and Rome and establish the kingdom immediately and bring it now. Maybe he was even trying to force his hand that if I do this, then he will demonstrate those powers. And if he doesn't, then he is not the Messiah that we would like. So here, as Judas is being tested, he was looking at the only perfect human being who has ever lived or walked on the face of the earth, love. Everything Jesus did was motivated by love. The power of God, the glory of God, the intimacy of communion and fellowship between father and son was demonstrated daily. And he had been with so close to Jesus. How could he have been disappointed with the Lord? But I wanna ask this question. Are there some of you that maybe God has not turned out the way that you thought he would. He has not used his power. He's God, he's all powerful. He controls all things. And I don't understand why he allowed this to happen in my life or why he allowed that to happen. It doesn't seem to make sense. And so you build a case little by little and before you know it, you're rejecting. Well, if that's the way you are, then I don't want to be with you or I don't want to be part of you. Well, that's exactly how Judas was thinking. Instead of teaching the disciples about how to conquer the world and control the world, Jesus was instead teaching his disciples how to surrender their lives to the Holy Spirit and surrender their lives to the will of the Father in heaven and how to love one another and serve one another. And instead of getting richer and richer, they were becoming poorer and poorer, even though Judas held the purse and he took things financially if he needed them, we find out from the Gospels as well. But following Jesus was, in Judas' mind, going nowhere but the cross. And he wanted out. And I want to say this, that Jesus went to the cross for Judas, just like he did for every other human being. And though he knew what Judas would do from the beginning, and it had actually been predicted and prophesied that he would be betrayed, yet Jesus loved Judas. Pastor Ray Bentley, with insights drawn from the final days of the Lord's earthly life. Glad you're joining us for our studies in Matthew here on Maranatha Radio. Now, today's study is titled, The Test of Character. 
If you missed any part, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at RayBentley.com. That's RayBentley.com. We hope you'll stop by our site today. When you're there, you can leave a few words in tribute to Pastor Ray's life and ministry. And under Media, you'll notice three words, Watch, Radio, and Devo. Three ways to enjoy Pastor Ray's insights. Plus, click About and find out more about Pastor Ray and find out how you can come into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And at the bottom of the page, you can sign up to receive Pastor Ray's daily devotions via email, free of charge. Plus, you'll find other spiritual growth books and resources from Pastor Ray, including his new book called The Final Witness, an eye-opening prophetic fiction novel. So many are enjoying the full five-book series called The Elijah Chronicles. You can, too. And RayBentley.com is always where you'll find the best deals on Pastor Ray's resources. You can also make a donation right there on the site. Your investments help bring the whole gospel to the whole world. Our mailing address is Maranatha Radio, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in the book of Matthew. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.